0: Welcome to the Citizens Youth podcast. Citizens Youth is a ministry of Northwest Gospel Church in Vancouver, Washington. Citizens is a community of students who are learning to live for Jesus. We meet every Wednesday at 7 p.m. To find out more, visit us online at nwgospel.com forward slash citizens. Let's do it. Ooh, let me look at your faces. You sound good. You look good, Well, you look all right. You look all right. I mean, nah, you look good, guys. You ready? Yes. Who's pumped? Camp. This is camp, man. I, uh, so I used to joke about this, but I'm like the worst hype guy because like before basketball games and football games, I'd be listening to like slow jams and, and all my teammates would be like, let's knock him out, let's kill him. And I'd be like, he's probably nice, man. We don't gotta kill him. Let's just play football, like see what happens. Thank you, sir. And, uh, and so whenever I come up, I always want to do like the hype, like, are you ready? And then you guys give me like the week, like, we're ready. And then I got to ask you again. And the second time I ask you, you're like, now we're ready. So we'll yell louder. And I'm like, now I know. And, but I don't ever feel comfortable doing it because I'm like, that's just silly. I'm just asking you the same question again. So uh, I was thinking about this and I was like, man, like how, you know, how, how cool is camp? Like you got like almost 300 people in this room who are singing about one thing. We're all in agreement about one thing that God... God is good, right? That he has done something magnificent, and we're here to either hear about that, maybe for the first time, or or maybe for the 20th time, or the 1,000th time, but the news never gets old. And, And we're here singing about that, and we're talking about that, we're learning about that, and we're playing games and celebrating that every single hour that we're here. And it's this powerful experience, and I always think about this, like where else could I get 300 people in a room and we'd all be in agreement on something right like like if if we just started bringing up like what's the best high school in in vancouver and you guys would be like oh clark whatever i don't know the high schools in that area but like if i was like what's the best country at camp and i was like what about egypt let me hear from egypt (laughs) see and then i was like what about israel what about israel where are you at yeah yeah and what about japan where's japan Woo! Yep, Japan. And what about Croatia? Not represented. All right. Woo! Not here yet, though. Next time, China. That's a country. All right. Yep, we got them. See, I was like looking at the tables. Spain? Is there Spain? Woo! France. Yeah. What about Great Britain? Rexstaff, right? Isn't that Rexstaff? China's cool. Yep. Canada. Forgot our neighbors to the north. America! No America. Hey, he's got an American flag shorts. Respect that. Excellent. Brazil! Yeah! Excellent. Germany! Woo! That was a good one, Germany. You guys got that pitch that hurts. Dominican Republic? too many people we went to the dominican republic we start to you know like like curacao where's curacao start getting into the like the dutch countries that were little farmlands what scotland yes i don't know how i forgot you you have bled with wallace now bleed with me yes all right what'd i forget ireland is there an ireland jamaica That's my daughter's favorite. She loves Jamaica. Who else did I forget? Ireland? Australia. Now we're just yelling countries. Australia! Thought that was the Great Britain flag. My bad. That's my bad. My bad. Geography. All right. See, now we can't agree anymore. We're in disagreement about what's the best country. So I, I love this, right? Isn't this awesome? You guys excited? So let me tell you this. I was thinking about camp, and the title of camp is The Moment, right? The Moment. Doesn't that sound epic? The Moment. The. Definite article, Moment. There's only one. The Moment. What do you think it means? Like, I was thinking about this. I remember reading this quote in a book a long time ago that said, Books don't change us. Lines from books change us. 1% of a book will change you. You'll remember a line from a book that will change your life. You'll remember something a teacher said to you that will change the way you act or behave. You'll remember something your small group leader, your pastor said to you that will change you. We remember these moments for our life, right? And I was thinking about some moments that I remember some things that that jumped off the page as I started thinking about moments in my life. And I thought of some funny ones and some, maybe some sad ones, and I was just reflecting. So I'm 32, I've got three kids, I've got an amazing wife, and they're here. So you're gonna see them around, and I just wanna tell you like my daughters are now the age, I'm just gonna set them free. So if you see them running around, just hang out with them, like they'll be so happy if you say hi to them, Michelle and Zoe. Michelle will be like your best friend, Zoe will just mean mug you to death like she will just stare you down and you'll say hi and she'll be like "Mm, we'll see we'll see yeah so and then caleb's my son he has the biggest head in the world so you can't miss him and uh he's he's around as well and and so i've got three kids and i was thinking about these moments that changed my life right these moments that i remember forever i one, one that came like jumped off the page to me i remember being in sixth grade and it was the first time i was like girls are all right girls are all right Like up to sixth grade, I'm not kidding. My friends were like, what is wrong with you? Because I would just be like, man, I don't, I just want to play baseball. Like I just want to, you know, kick dirt and just leave me alone. I don't want to talk to girls. They have a lot of things to say and I just want to sit quietly. Like I want to be over here and play. I don't need this. And then in sixth grade, I met a girl in my sister's gymnastics class and I was like, okay, I can see that. I can see that. I can see that. I remember that moment. Like I just remember the switch hitting. And and I remember in 11th grade, like my whole life, my goal was to play college baseball. And I put it in air quotes, I played college baseball. I watched a lot from the dugout. But in 11th grade, I was a junior in high school and I was playing really well for my really small high school. And and I just remember, I, I remember the moment I'd finished a game and I remember sitting after the game and we had won the game and I just remember going, I'm not gonna be important on the baseball field. Like I'm never gonna be, I'm never gonna play meaningful college baseball. And it was kind of this letdown, but just this reality check for me, just like, hmm, interesting. I remember when uh, I was a junior in college and I realized that I had never given any thought, not a single ounce of thought to what I would do with my life for an occupation aside from what do I want and what will make me the most money. Those are the two questions that I had answered. And I was like, sweet, I know what I want to do right? I remember that moment. I was a junior in college, and it was, I was in between my, um, my, my classes, and I was just sitting there, and I was like, why did I pick this? What happened here? How did I decide on this? And, and so everything started to kind of, the wheels started to spin, but I remember that moment. I remember the moment that I knew I was going to, I at least wanted to marry my wife. I knew I wanted to marry her. I wasn't sure she wanted to marry me. It was July 4th, 2010, We left church, Uh, the the last church gathering was at 12 p.m., so it finished at maybe 1.30, and we were walking around Olympia, and I'm not exaggerating when I say this number, we spent 10 hours walking around and just talking, and I was just asking her questions, and I thought she was amazing. Like, we we walked around, we probably walked miles and miles, I don't remember any of those things, I just remember the conversation we had, and at the end of that day, I was like, that's the girl that I wanna marry. Like, I remember that, I remember that moment. I mean, I tricked her, I absolutely tricked her. So we have these moments we remember. You guys think back to some moments in your lives that were meaningful. Moments that you think, I'll never forget that. It shapes you, right? But see, those moments, those moments that we remember are different than the moment we're talking about tonight and that we're gonna talk about this weekend. The moment we're talking about this weekend isn't just a moment you'll remember. It's a moment that will change you for all of your life. You won't won't remember it for all of your life. It will change every aspect of your life forever. That's, that's the moment that we're talking about. And what we're gonna do this weekend, we're gonna look at three stories, just three stories, three really easy to, to hear, I think amazing, powerful, funny, engaging stories, three stories, four characters who all had their moment and what happened from that moment and maybe see what that, what that speaks to us this weekend. So you guys ready for that? You ready? Yeah. Let's pray. And then we're going to hop into Mark chapter 10. All right? God, we are here because of what you have done. We're, we're here in anticipation of what you're going to do. But most of all, God, we are here because of what you have done in Jesus. And so many of us here, we've, we've seen that work. We've believed in that work. We've trusted in that work. And we've hoped in that work. And I pray that this weekend you would add to that number. That for those of us who need to place our faith in your salvation and in your son and in that finished work. For the first time that you would do that. That you would change our hearts. That you would replace our hearts of stone with the heart of flesh. And, and for those of us that need to keep believing your gospel, that need to keep seeing the beauty of your word and the beauty of your son and the mercy of your love and your sacrifice, for those of us that need to be moved by that this weekend, God, we pray that you would continue to renew your mercies, to refresh your salvation, to grow our love for you because of your powerful love for us. That's why we're here. We want that. We believe in that. And we know that you can do it because you are a big God who can and will and does. We love you, Lord. We ask in eager anticipation that we would see you as a big God tonight. We pray this in your good name. Amen. All right. You guys in Mark chapter 10? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to read a couple of verses And I'm going to tell you, so we're going to look at different scenes, and I think our first night we've got got four scenes to look at. So scene one, I call it a desperate call. I'm going to read Mark chapter 10 verses 46 to 48. So we're going to do 46 to 52 tonight, but we're just going to do a couple verses at a time, all right? So this is verse 46 of Mark chapter 10. And they came to Jericho, All right, look with me. This is a desperate man. Desperate man. This is a man who had nothing else in the world to gain. I'm gonna ask you this question. Who sits on the side of the road? Important people, right? Who sits on the side of the road? Homeless people, that's the answer. That, that's what came into my head, right? Like if you're driving along and you see somebody sitting on the side of the road, you're like, that he's probably not well off, right? Somebody's sitting on the side of the road. This guy's sitting on the side of the road as a parade is going by, and he shouts out, "You ever yell for help? Like, how many of you are just absolutely terrified of drawing attention to yourself? Real life? like feel free, raise your hand, right? My wife would be raising her hand right now. She does not like being up front, she doesn't like drawing attention to herself. like that. That is a frightening thing to her so this guy, he, he can't see what's going on, but he knows there are many people around him. He's sitting on the side of the road and he starts screaming out for help. He's screaming out. Now, let me, I said important people, you guys said homeless people sit on the side of the road, right? Here's the crazy part of this story. My clicker's not working, I don't know why. I'm pushing the wrong, oh, there it is, we did it. Here's the crazy part of the story. We're 2,000 years removed from this story. Who knows the name of the guy in the story? I just read it. What's his name? Bartimaeus. All right, we got 300 people 2,000 years later who know this dude's name because it's written in the the best-selling book of all time, the Bible. 2,000 years later, we know his name. We don't even know just his name. We know his dad's name, son of Timaeus, right? I'm gonna play a little game. Why don't you guys stand up really quick? No cheating in this game, all right? No cheating in this game. All right. You, you, they do this at weddings. They'll be like, all right, everybody who's dancing, if you've been married longer than like one year, uh, you know, stay out there. And then all the newlyweds have to sit down like, you've been married longer than five years. So here's, here's my question for you. How many of you can tell, like you could say your parents' name? If you know both of your parents, mom and dad, their first, for their first full name, not just their nickname or what they like to go by, their first full name, stay standing, right? If anybody sat down like you're just like, I don't even know. I just call him dad. He's just dad, you know, whatever. He doesn't even have a name. Ma! Uh, all right. You have to sit down if you do not know both sets of your grandparents' names, Their their first names. So, your maternal grandmother, or if you have more than four grandparents, eight grandparents, my wife has eight grandparents, if you don't know their first name, you have to sit down. Good. I like the honesty of some of you. All right. Great grandparents. Yeah. Great grandparents. That's your. That's your mom's mom's mom, right? And you got to know all of them. Not just a couple, you got to know all of them. Even if they were gone before you were born. All right, all right, all right. Next one. Great, great grandparents. What? No, great, great. I was on great, we're on great, great. Champions of the world. You don't have great, great grandparents. I mean, you do. You do. You were born from someone. That's how it works. I'll explain it later. Yes. Is he lying? You're telling me the truth? Tell me the names of your great, great grandparents. Okay. It's gone. The pressure's on. The pressure's on. Just say a lady's name and we'll never know. You're good. Hey, I respect the effort. Actually, if you're great-great-grandparents, there should be more than four, I believe, if the math works right. We're good. We're on the same page. Get that, all right? Now stick with me. Here's the reason I tell you that. Here's the deal. We just tracked back 2,000 years and we know a blind beggar's name. Like none of you had an issue repeating it to me because we just read it from the book. But if we go back a hundred years, one hundred years, you can't tell me the names of your family members. That's crazy. I didn't even hear what he said, but I assume it's something like, "I don't even have parents. I was just put here, I just arrived." Yeah. But isn't that wild? This, this guy, he was sitting on the side of the road. Sitting on the side of the road as Jesus passed by. And he screams out for help. And 2,000 years later, we're telling his story. Why are we telling his story? Because he was at the end of everything. He had no hope to fix himself. He had no hope to regain his sight outside of Jesus. And so because of that, there was nothing holding him back from screaming out for help. In fact, if if you look back at the story, what it says is that people told him to shut up. They didn't just say like, hey bro, you wanna be quiet. There's actually a large crowd passing by right now. So I think maybe at this point, like, like just chill out. If he wants you, he's God, so he knows, right? They're, it says they tell him, be silent, and they rebuke him. Rebuke is a strong word. Like if you're in a public place and somebody says, you, you yell something, and someone in authority says, hey, hey bro, shut up. You're not just like, say it louder. <laughs> what now? What are you going to do now? Like That's the desperation this guy brings to the table. He's screaming out. He says, son of David, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And people go, hey, be quiet. This isn't about you blind guy sitting on the curb be quiet and he says son of david have mercy on me all of his pride all of his willpower all of his want to everything that in him that would say you know what have some dignity have some respect it's all gone because he's desperate to get to jesus he needs jesus this is a desperate call and in the world would meet a desperate call with scoffs. Someone who does something like that is embarrassing themselves. We might say, have some pride. pull yourself up, man. We told you to be quiet. And the most important man in that parade doesn't just ignore him. Look at what he does. Scene two here is Mark chapter 10, verse 49. It says this, and Jesus stopped and said, call him. Just stop there. How beautiful is that? Our second scene, scene one is a desperate call. Scene two is a, a sympathetic savior. Did you get that? Jesus stops. The son of God, the person for whom all of these people were gathered, he breaks stride. If you've ever had somebody come up to you at a gas station and ask for loose change, it's very easy to just kind of pretend you didn't hear him and just go, oh, I'm sorry, man, I, I got things to do. I don't, have, I, I don't have any cash on me, man. Do you take cards? All right, I'll get you later. Like you just keep moving and you keep moving and Jesus stops. This is a beautiful moment that's being had here and he doesn't just stop. He, he says, call him. Jesus stops and he says, call him. And so they called him, they called the blind man, and these very people who had told him to be quiet, they say, get up, take heart. He's calling you. This is a beautiful picture of what Jesus does when we cry out to him. Friends, he he says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, and Jesus does. I, I want you to put yourself in his shoes and say you're calling out, you have nothing left and you call out in desperation and for the first time someone hears you not just anyone hears you Jesus hears you are you with me on that guys can you, listen listen to me very closely here Jesus does not ignore your calls for help Jesus does not turn a deaf ear to your prayers he stops And he calls you to himself. He he hears you. In those moments where you have thought to yourself, no one is listening, no one could possibly know that 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 deep-seated fear, that deep-seated anxiety, that sadness, that depression, that, that desperation that I can't convey to my friends because they will shame me. They will leave me. I can't be that needy. That that thing that I can't get out there, that thing that I've been calling for and asking for help for someone to love me, to see me, to feel me, to hear me. Jesus says, I hear you. Come to me. His arms are open. His ears are open. And we have this unforgettable exchange here. And and I kept thinking when I read the story, I kept thinking this. Why doesn't Jesus just call him over? Like Jesus doesn't have a problem speaking loudly, but he says to his disciples, call him. And I think what's happening here is there's an act of healing. He's showing his disciples, we're not too important for this, but he's inviting them into the process. He's inviting them into the healing of this man. He says, call him. And these people who just moments ago said, hey, shut up. We got important stuff to do. Now say, take heart be encouraged. He's calling you. He sees you. He heard you. You're going to him. And friends, some of you are here tonight because someone invited you. And and the reason they invited you is the very same reason these people call out, because they have seen, they have felt, they have experienced the mercy and the love of Jesus. And, And Jesus has said, call them. Bring them to me. Bring them to me. And so these people who love you, these friends who have said, come with me, come hear this good news. The same as this in the story. And Jesus says, Bring them to me. Bring them to me. And look what happens here. This is unreal. Unreal. This is scene three, an unforgettable exchange. Verses 50 and 51. Look at this. It says, Throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. This guy's sitting on the curb. He's a blind beggar. If, listen, if we're sitting out there later today, so I, I said earlier, I'm 32 years old. If we're sitting out there tomorrow, last year I played spike ball for the first time. Any spike ball fans? That was my jam. I, I loved it. I thought it was great. So someone asked me to play spike ball. And like, if tomorrow we're sitting down and somebody's like, hey man, come play spike ball with us. And I'm just picture me sitting crisscross applesauce. And I've been there for like 15 minutes and I'm just kind of sitting there and you're like, come play spike ball. And I'm like, all right, guys, I'll be there in a second. Like creaky hips, like sitting with my legs folded hurts. Since I was a kid, people would be like, sit crisscross applesauce. We used to call it something else, but it's not loud anymore. And so like sit crisscross applesauce and and like my hips would hurt. And now that I'm 32, it takes me time to get off the ground. And if you look at this story, this blind beggar who's been sitting on stone for who knows how long, for who knows how many years, they say, Call him to me. And look at the word. What does it say? What does it say he did? He sprang up. You think this dude's excited? You think he's pumped? I mean, he springs up and he throws off his cloak. Like, he's not just like, all right, Jesus, I'll be there in a minute. I got to stretch my hammies because they're tight. My knees, man, my knees, Jesus. I've been here a long, long time. Nobody said anything to me. This ground is hard. Hold up. Hold up. Click. All right, we're good. He springs up and he throws off his cloak because he's so excited. I, I mean, just picture this For me for a minute being blind for years and years and years and having no hope of recovering your sight and you hear the story of a man who could help you recover your sight and he happens to be in your town and he happens to be crossing your corner and he happens to hear you call out and he happens to call you over what would you feel Would you sit say, I'll get you next time? Would you casually walk over and say, Jesus, you know, I had this thing happen to me and I'll give you the whole story, but if you could do something about it, I mean, you know, I I, I can't see anything. And so, I mean, even if you just, you know, give me one eye, right? Give me one eye, I'll give you a leg, and we'll do a deal, switch. You start coming to Jesus with a plan. I got a plan, Jesus. Here's what I'm going to do in order for you to heal me to quid pro quo, if you will. I'll give you something if you give me healing. If you fix this for me, Jesus, I promise I'll serve you forever. If you do this thing for me, then I'll do this. What would you do? He screams out for help. He's desperate. He's heard. He's called. And then Jesus asks him the craziest question. He says, what do you want? You ever have somebody ask you like the most obvious question? You're in like the refund line at the store and they're like, how can I help you? You're like, I'm carrying this large object. I'm standing in the (laughs) refund line. You don't want to just guess. No no plans. I just came here to hang out. I like these people. I like this line. I like holding things. Thought you'd be a good conversation for me to have in the middle of a work day. Like Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do? What should I do for you? He doesn't hold back. He's not too proud to ask. And he says, Rabbi, please let me recover my sight. And I love that word, he says, recover. Recover, it means he had it at one point. He, he could see at one point, and he says, I, I just want to see again. I just want to see again. Feel the weight of this moment. Feel the desperation of this man's cry for help and this man's request of Jesus. He's asking him to do the impossible. There's no modern medicine. There's no laser surgery here. This is a man asking another man, help me see. Give me my life back, Jesus. In this culture, he was an outcast. The belief was that if you have some physical malady like this, you have done something wrong to deserve it. And, and so people will pass by him and show him no sympathy. They'll show him no mercy. He may collect enough change. He may go to the temple or eat leftovers that someone else will give him, but he will not have a life. People have passed by this man, and so he's pleading with Jesus. He says, Jesus, give me my life back. What does Jesus say? Friends, look at what he says. Look at what the Son of God says. The greatest and only non-sinner to ever live. The son of God, born of a virgin. Look how he addresses this man in beautiful mercy in verse 52. He says, and Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Oh, I mean, this... This story, friends, this beautiful story, it culminates in a faith-filled salvation. The Son of God answers him and he says, go your way, go back to your life. I'm giving you your life back. And he doesn't say, listen, he doesn't say, oh, uh, you said the magic word, right? He doesn't say, you said the passphrase, healing commence. He doesn't even say, I have made you well. What does he say? He says, your faith, your faith has made you well. Why? This is an unbelievable, absolutely unbelievable moment in history. It's, It's an unbelievable moment in this man's life. He's getting his life back. And here's what Jesus is telling him. Jesus is telling him that, It wasn't what you said. It wasn't what you did. It was your belief in who I was that has made you well. Think back about what blind Bartimaeus cried out. He said, Jesus, son of David. It's a messianic title. He wasn't just saying, Jesus, you're a good teacher and I've heard you can do miracles. Please perform this miracle for me. He says, Jesus, I believe that you are the one sent from God I believe you are the one we've been waiting for. And I believe you are the only one who has the power to restore my sight. So please, Jesus, make me well. And Jesus says, this faith is what saves. That belief about who I am and about what I am here for, that is what has made you well. And so he sends him on his way. He says, your faith has made you well. This is blind Bartimaeus' moment. This is his moment where he comes face to face with Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, the chosen one sent from God to redeem sinful human beings. And Jesus' words to him are, Your faith has made you well. Go on your way. And it says, He took up his cloak and he followed him on the way. It's a beautiful, beautiful story. And here's my question. Here's my thought for you guys. This is where I think it matters. This man had nothing left. He's desperate, and his only hope is Jesus. There's no backup plans. There's no hedging his bets. There's no, well, if this doesn't work out, I can always go to college and have a good life. This is it. And Jesus says, that belief, the desperation that drove you here to call out for me, that desperation, that faith, that is what heals you. I am the one who heals, but you have to believe that I am the one who heals. And here's here's the question that I want us to wrestle with tonight as we close and as we keep our conversation going in small groups and as we keep singing. Here's the question I want to ask you. I want you to ask yourselves and I want us to talk about who are you calling to? When that moment comes in your life, when that desperation hits, when when everything that you thought would be taken away, when that moment comes in your life, when there are no backup plans and it's gone, who are you looking to to fix it? What are you looking to to fix it? Who's the hero of that story? Is it Jesus? Is he the one you cry out to? Or is it someone else? Anyone, anyone else? Is it, is it something else? I, for years, I was a slave to my own logic. That anything that would go wrong, anything that could possibly go wrong, all I would do is is step back and go, okay, if I can just figure this out, then I can fix this, and I can do that, and then things will work out in the end. And so I'd get to these places, and and the hero, who I was calling to, was myself. It was my plans. And in this moment for Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, 2,000 years ago, he cried out to Jesus, son of David, who are you calling to? Friends, when your moment comes, whether that's this weekend or 10 years from now or 50 years from now or 10 years ago, who are you calling to? Who are you looking to to save you? Who are you looking to to come to the rescue? Who are you asking for help? Who are you saying, I need my life. I need you to give me life. I have nothing without you. Help me. Save me. Heal me. Restore me. Redeem me. Who? Who will do that for you? Who is your trust in? Who are you calling to? I can, I can tell you this with full confidence. 12 years ago, almost, almost to the day, it was the end of July, I was 20 years old and my life had fallen apart. Not in the traditional sense, like I wasn't living under the stairs, you know, none of that stuff, but my life had fallen apart. Everything I had planned to do in my life was gone the girl I had dated for three years and planned to marry, gone. My plans of of playing baseball, gone. All all my plans of what school I was going to go to and what I was going to do, done. And I was mad at God. I was angry at him. And I spent three months, I, I mean, truly cursing his name, Like wanting nothing to do with the church and just, I don't want, I had been raised in the church. I knew what people were going to say, but I was so mad at him. And the whole reason I was mad at him is I said, God, I was good. Like look around compared to all my friends, everything that they did, I was good. And this is how you repaid me. You took everything from me I could ever want in three months and it was gone. I am out. And so I ran and I cursed his name and I said, I, I will not have anything to do with this. And this is a true story. I showed up to church one day because I wanted to fight a guy. This is a true story, I promise you. Uh, My friend invited me to church and I said, I'll go because I want to fight my friend and he goes. I want to beat him up because I hate his guts. And so I went. And I, I cannot for the life of me tell you what the pastor preached about. I don't remember what the verse was. I don't remember anything about it except at the end of that message, he prayed and the band started to play and something broke inside me. And I knew I wasn't strong enough, and I wasn't good enough, and I would never be enough. And I was 20 years old, and I started to ugly cry in front of 250 people. And something in me started to move towards the front of the room where all those people could see me. I started moving towards the front of this room and there was a man there who I I knew in a cursory sense who was a part of the prayer team and I started walking towards him And and it wasn't like some supernatural I'm walking towards him. I just don't remember making a conscious choice like I'm gonna go there but I was broken, friends. It was gone. My whole life was gone and I started moving towards this man and he's like 5'5 five, five, and I'm 6'2 and I'm this proud college athlete and I just like fall into his arms with snot coming out of my, just everywhere, like out of my ears and I just fall into his arms and I swear to you, the music's playing and I feel like in my head the music stopped and everybody's just like, oh no. <laughs> and all I, like, all I could think was like, this is, this is it. Like, there's, I have no hope. And in that moment, I met Jesus, friends. I had, I had no, like there was no promise made for me about what I was going to do and go, all right, God, I'm pretty smart. I've got good grades. If, you know, we, we've got a deal going here. If I serve you, then you give me the stuff I want. My life was evaporated, vanished, gone, dead. And he met me there and he held me and he called me to himself. And he said, he come to me. And, and I broke there. And, and I met this beautiful Jesus that we see in this story. And he said, go your way. And and I knew that day, that was my moment. I knew that day that no matter what else happened, no matter... How things change in the rest of my life no matter what i did or who i met or who i saw that i would be following jesus that i would love jesus that i would pursue jesus and and it was a bumpy road like as a 20 year old man who had no idea what that meant there was a ton of peaks and valleys in that following jesus but an unwavering commitment to him because of that moment and i've had dozens of them since then Dozens of moments like that where Jesus has met me and loved me and cared for me and called me to himself and said, You are mine, and he's healed me and he's restored me. That was my moment, friends. And in this moment, this weekend, next weekend, next year, who are you calling to? And and are you ready to cry out? Because if it's about you, if it's about what you can do and and how much you can accomplish, if it's about how you can keep yourself looking a certain way and being perceived a way by a certain group of people, whether that's the leaders in this room, your peer group at school, whether it's, it's other students around you or a significant other, a boyfriend or a girlfriend, a spouse, a pastor, whoever that is, if it's about being perceived by them, then you're not ready to cry out. But if it's about a desperate call because you recognize that something inside of you is fractured and can only be healed by him, who are you calling to to fix it? So here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna pray And then we're going to sing. And and we're going to respond through singing. And and there's going to be people and and leaders and other peers and students that can pray with you. And so if you are in that place where you need to cry out and something's saying, don't do that. Like, don't go there. You let that floodgate up, who knows what's going to come out. You might be the one ugly crying, snot everywhere. And and I'm gonna tell you tonight that that's not the voice of God. God's not telling you to be reserved so that you can look like you have it together. God's telling you a story about a blind man who was sitting on a curb as hundreds, maybe thousands of people passed by and he screamed with all his might, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And when everybody around said, shut up. There's important things happening. He said, no, son of David, have mercy on me. I will not be quiet. I need him. I need him. I need him. Friends, that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to sing. And some of us are singing about a moment that we've already experienced, and we're agreeing in that. And some of us are singing because our hearts need to be fleshed out. We need to see that moment in ourselves. And and some of us need to go back to our cabins and say, "I, I need that Jesus. I need to meet that Jesus because the Jesus I've met is a cute little Jesus that I learned about in Sunday school. The Jesus that I've met is a Jesus that I have boxed in and I fashioned him, fashioned him in my own image. The Jesus that I've met is this Jesus over here, little stick figure Jesus, cartoon Jesus, whatever it is. And Jesus says, I'm the son of God. I'm the son of David, the one sent from God to rescue you. And you can trust me, but you have to call out to me. And so I'm inviting you and he's inviting you to call out to him tonight. Whatever that means for you through prayer, through conversation, through friendship, through music, through singing, to cry out to him. So are you ready to cry out to him? Let's pray. Jesus, My prayer tonight is that all of the voices that we have that might say, keep it together, hold it back. Don't be desperate. Desperate, needy. These are all bad words in our world, God. Things we don't want to be. We don't want to be socially awkward. We don't want to draw attention to ourselves. And yet... Here we are, and you who love us, you are calling us. So I pray that we would come, that we would spring up, and we would throw off our clothes. We would throw off the things that have been holding us back, and we would run to you. And that might mean that we're celebrating a work that you've already done. And it might mean, Jesus, that for the very first time tonight, we're going to ask you to heal us. We're going to cry out to you and say, okay, God, you you are who you say you are. And I want to trust you, so help me trust you. And so, God, we, we dump out our stuff, God, all the things we've been hiding in this belief that you could never love us, that if anyone saw who we truly were, we could never be loved, and you're inviting us and saying, come to me and, and bring all of these burdens and lay them down, because my yoke is easy and my burden is light, and so, Lord, we come to you and we say, love us. We, we empty ourselves of these constraints, these things that have, have, have held us back, whatever those things might be, and we say, God, would you love us here tonight? Would you show us this mercy that blind Bartimaeus felt and saw and experienced and made him follow you on the way? Would you reveal yourself to be the son of David and the son of God and the lover of our souls? Please, Jesus, we pray this in your good name. Amen.